control back. I do. A God we can trust part two. Last week I uh, launched into this because I've, again, in my circles, I meet a lot of people. In fact, yesterday I met a couple that's uh, getting married and uh, we talked through uh, the backgrounds that they have and they're from a non-religious background. And then uh, they mentioned faith from the past. And so, again, this, it, it connected to this who is God question. Which God are we talking about? Um, last week we talked about this in God we trust because it's on people's money. But, but which God? I, I ask that question because you ask people through a Kitchen-Waterloo or wherever you are, in whatever city you're in, you ask people who God is, you're going to get a huge variety of answers from many, many faith backgrounds you're going to have uh, Allah is God. You're going to have Buddha is God. You're going to have uh, Joseph Smith's God. You're going to have uh, God is a very strict, 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 strict God. You dare not tick him up or yup. Like a pinch your little fire off your candle. That, that kind of a God. You know, the, the one you can have to dance around carefully. That God. Or, or you can have God as he's love. Everything's love. You know, you, you have all kinds of answers. You all encounter it, I'm sure, right? I'm, I'm, I'm sure. So that's why I want to talk about this. I want to lay a case, make a case for a good God. One we can actually trust because if God is schizophrenic, if he keeps changing his mind, if he is easily aggravated, easily angered, remembers our sins, then he is not approachable or trustworthy. It you can't approach him. How are you going to approach a God you, you can't trust? So I want to make a case for trust. Some of the questions that we have is, you know, which, which, which religion, which denomination then? Okay, if, we, if we're going to call it on Christian, what about denominations? 44,000 different denominations can't all be wrong, can they? <laughs> you betcha. So if it's not about a denomination, then what about the God of the Bible? There, we've got to be pretty safe with that one. The God of the Bible. Well, what do you mean? Which God in the Bible? Because there are many types of gods. In fact, Abraham, as an example, he, he knew the real God, but he did not know the real God. Not fully, not a chance. He only had snippets. He had, he had these snapshots that were almost blurry. And God, throughout his whole life, was trying to show Abraham the God who he really was based on the culture Abraham was in. In that day, the God of Molech, which is mentioned in the Bible, so again, you got to say, which God are you talking about in the Bible? I'm talking about the God of the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. You know, I'm talking about the God uh, who created the world through Christ. That's the one I'm talking about. We, we get that here. But people are wondering. You can't have an assumption that when you say I'm talking about God, that everybody's going to see your lens. They're coming from their lens, and Abraham had to learn because the God of Molech uh, loved child sacrifice. They continually sacrificed humans. And so there was, it was no big deal for Abraham. And you, some of us may have wondered, why, why, why is Abraham even taking his kid? Because God, God said, go sacrifice my kid. Did God really tell him that? I think he did. And he used it as an example to move him beyond the God of Molech, who says, yeah, child sacrifice and uh, human sacrifice is fine. He stopped him and said, ah, this is not what I want. 
they were so deeply ingrained in a false concept of who God was. It took Abraham's whole life, and we're going to see that all through the Old Testament. And I'll tell you, here's a word some people may get at, and that is there's a progressive revelation happening all through the Scriptures, and where does it stop? Where does the progressive revelation of who God is stop and have its pinnacle? Anybody have an idea? It should be pretty simple. To fu- Jesus, thank you. I know, science school answer. But it's true! Jesus is the final pinnacle describing who God is. In fact, it's Jesus. He's the one we can trust. We kind of covered that last week, but I'm going to dive into this. Is my microphone cutting in and out? Okay. If you can somehow figure that out, that'd be great. If I have to switch mics, I'll do that. I don't care. Um, So, which which God? God of the Bible. I'm I'm going to talk about the one that uh, we've been talking about. So, the one, again, the one who mixes up moods, we talked about that already. So, that's what I covered last week. So building the case, we began last week with the idea of the source that we can trust. And we have, a, we have some healthy scriptural um, history. We have the early church fathers. There, there are some great cases. There's some really bad ones, but there's some really good historical cases set up that this is how they have viewed the understanding of scripture, how they viewed um, uh, how, how the sovereignty of God was seen, how the Trinity concept came in, because the word Trinity is not in the Bible. You know that, right? It's, it's an early church understanding of the oneness and uniqueness of who God is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, then we talked about the person we can trust. So let's, if, if it's going to be Jesus, if all this journey from Old Testament of misunderstood, not 100% proper perspectives of God, all the way through the Old Testament, through the prophets, sorry, through the law, then the prophets, and none of them got, them, got it right. None of them got it right. Not even David. He got many things right, but none of them got it all right. There was mixed up perspectives of God. And then comes Jesus, who said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. The Father and I are one. I think this is one of the most important foundational things we must wrestle with Study and investigate and believe if we're going to trust God. It begins with Christ. Then we take Christ and bring him back through the Old Testament, try to understand it. And that one's, woohoo, that was fun. <laughs> so last week we uh, ended up talking more about this Jesus, the one we can trust. And then we're going to uh, begin to talk today about the pattern we can trust. If, if Jesus is the answer, and he has revealed himself in the scriptures, which I believe the scriptures have been given to us to point to Christ, who points us to the Father, then let's find some clear scriptures that lay a pattern, repeated this and this and this, is, so we can realize it's not just a one-off. It's not just a, oops, mistranslation. There are some really, really great verses that will build a case for an absolutely incredible God we can trust. So when the stuff hits the fan in our lives, when things get rough and we're blindsided by things, we can still say, yet I will still trust my God even though I can't understand everything and even though I can't control my circumstances. I'm going to trust the one who is peace in me. And if you do not know he is in you, 
then you're going to try to get him in you. And if you don't know you have his peace, then you're going to try to get his peace. You're going to always speak from a place of not having. But we have everything. We have everything we need. Let's see where I left off here. Okay. We ended with this verse last week. Ephesians 1, 3. I'm going to reread it because it's so good. The Passion Translation and then the New Living Translation. In fact, I'll do this one first because this will be most familiar if you're churched, as in you've gone to church a long time. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with some spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. It doesn't say that at all. It says, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing is in you now. Non-negotiable. Every one of us, whether you are awake to that truth or not, whether you're experiencing it or not, it is still a gift that has been given past tense. Passion Translation says this, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful Heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus. All because He sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate Him with all of our hearts. Again, we, this section had to do with trusting the source, the person, Jesus. And God sees us in Christ. There are so many believers who they themselves don't even see themselves in Christ. Colossians 1.27 <clears throat> was my wake-up. And I've read it many times. But there, it, I had to come to a place of wrestling and struggle so that my heart was ready to hear that verse. Even though you read it a hundred times. How many of you have read Bible verses your whole life and suddenly it's like, What? How come I didn't see that before? <gasps> it's 3D. It's, it's got, oh my goodness, it's got so many layers in that. I've read this a hundred times. It's coming alive. What is this? Colossians 1.27. Here's the secret. Christ lives in you. It had been a secret, and Paul reveals it. Christ lives in you. So you have Christ in you. Now you need to recognize as well that you are in Christ. And if you remember last week's verses, it was talking about uh, he was doing a prayer. Jesus was doing a prayer. Father, may they know that you are in me and that I am in you and that we are in them, that they are in us. Oh my goodness. It's a wrapped up package. Yeah, but what about, yeah, what about that? What about, well, it's like a but, kick the butt for a minute, set it off to the side, and, and how about instead of running ahead like we typically do here in the West, we have to have answers to everything. We have to, and it has to be easy to understand. It has to have a theological thing you can't argue with because then you say, I believe that, and then no more thinking is required because you've got your cubbyhole all figured out. What if we focus on some of the key verses that are blunt, without the yeah but for a minute. Because you're really good at yeah buts. Right? We're already good at that. So some people get offended. Says, well, then what about those verses? Well, that's what I'm telling you stop doing. Focus on what is really clear already, right in front of us. And that's what some of the verses today should do to you and I. 
You can have your yeah buts, but how about pausing and instead of yeah but, meditate. Meditate, focus, contemplate on these key verses, including the ones I did last week. You have to go back and watch that if you, haven't, haven't, if you weren't here. But this is, we end with, with Jesus as, as our source, and I trust Jesus as the source. Uh, last one on Christ. He came to build, okay? He came to seek and save that was lost. That was last week. But here's a beautiful thing. I even read this at funerals often. Don't be troubled. You trust God. Now, trust in me. There are many rooms in my father's home, and I am going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I would tell you plainly. And when everything's ready, I'll come and get you, so that you'll always be with me where I am. And you know where I am going and how to get there. That was, I think he had this sly little tone in his voice, because the very next line no, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We haven't any idea where you were going. Uh, so how can we know the way? It was a setup question, right? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Sounds pretty exclusive, inclusive, like pretty clear as one way. Right? Let me give you a couple things to think about. Not as solid answers, but think about. He says he's going, there's, there are many rooms in my father's home. How many people are here this morning? Maybe 50, 60, plus the kids, whatever. That's 70 homes. Where does the Spirit of God live? Not in temples, but in you and me. I think we are those homes that he was preparing to get ready to indwell so to speak we're the homes you know we keep singing this song if you're really well churched you know you sing the song i got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old you can probably finish it for me elizabeth right yep so <laughs> You're the mansion. I believe you are the house being built. And it wasn't until the cross where Christ took all of humanity into himself and made us brand new, and we are the temple of God. He has made you inhabitable. He has cleared your foggy thinking and has allowed you to now believe. He has reconciled us, which we're going to end with today, but not. I'm going to just tease you with it, and then we'll come back next week to talk about what really is reconciliation. Okay? Really important we know that. But for this here, it, what if Jesus is talking about us? I'm going to prepare a place for you. And there's no way you can come to the Father except through me. And it happened at the cross. It's already done. Now believe it. When you believe it, a transformation will happen in you and through you. You'll experience a revelation, a light, a warmth. Who knows what it is? Some people's eh, no change at all. But there is a change in your thinking, and you wake up to the truth of Christ in you. Your prayer didn't get Christ in you. He was already there. 
His light was already shining in you. When we say the prayer, please come into my heart, there's nothing wrong with the prayer. Uh, I don't want to bash that. But it's an emotional acknowledgement of an awareness. That is what happens. It's beautiful. Anyway, this is, this is Jesus messing with his disciples. and <laughs> He does it beautifully. You know? So this is fun to read at funerals because I want to give hope. There's hope for the one who just passed away. They're, they're inhabited by Christ already. May they wake up. Think about this for a minute. There's one person I know for sure who after people died, they were given a choice whether to believe or not. One person. Who could possibly have done that? Jesus. When he passed away on the cross, he went and preached to those who already passed away. Huh. Okay, I'll stop that because that's going to get a rabbit trail that you can have in your own head. But I got some other stuff coming that will also blow your mind and cause you to think God's love might be bigger, better, wider, farther, higher, deeper, more affected than you ever thought. Because if you can think of it, it's more than that. If you've got your limit, well, God can only save those people. It's more than that. If you've said whatever, it's bigger. You can't know. And it's bigger than that even. So let's take a look at some patterns. Because sometimes um, when people study theology, sometimes they call it systematic theology. And either way, um, you look for patterns or texts that kind of make your point. All right? That's what systematic theology does. It's the study of God. And uh, I want to make a case that uh, there are some verses that are a pattern that show us God's for us, and he's done some things to us already that we may not be aware of. Let's see what we got. Oh, my battery's low on this. Oh, there we go. Romans 5.8. The New Living Translation says this. But God showed his great love for us. First point, God loves you. Do you ever doubt that? Many do. This is pattern one, reminding us God loves us. Then it goes on to say, showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. Here's the big one. While we were still sinners. Before we got to say the prayer. Christ came to die for us. Did you catch that? That's that's huge. Romans 5, 8, Passion Translation. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. In order for something to be lost, it has to have an owner. Or it's not lost. Just a fact. So, sorry for all the text, but too bad. Um, There's something in Romans 5 last night that as I was going through it, I realized... Ooh, this is such a rich, rich text. I want to highlight a pattern for you. Again, let the Scripture speak. Let the Holy Spirit confirm. All right? I'm not making this up. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, first point, you have been made right already. Every one of you. 
No hallelujahs, no amen, no backflips, no chandelier swinging. Nothing? Nobody's excited about that? Fine. All right. Woohoo. <laughs> Therefore, since we have been. Again, the reason I'm highlighting this is so you can go back and read it for yourself and slow down when you read these verses. Don't just rip through it like a novel. Some of these need to be slowed down and focused on, meditated on, and realize, whoa, this has ramifications I was too afraid to think about because God just might be better than we have been told. We've been made right in God's sight by faith. And by the way, we do know that that faith is a gift from God. It's not our faith, it's his faith. It's the faith of Christ. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, the one given to us, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. This is good news so far. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, but that never happens. Right? Do we have problems and trials? You betcha. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. There's an assumption you're going to. Everybody's going to have to... If it's going to be a snowstorm, everybody gets dumped on, not just the non-believing households. All right? That's kind of weird. So here we go. For we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character. Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and here we go, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how God dearly loves us, a pattern, repeat, God loves you. He loves every person, regardless of their belief system, regardless of their lifestyle. God loves everyone, period. And if you think otherwise that there are people he doesn't love, you're believing in a God that doesn't love everybody. It just reveals the God you say you believe in. And I believe it's a faulty perspective. I'm going to go with this. This is good. And it gets better. Don't worry. (laughs) For we know God dearly loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Every one of us has the capacity to love because God has put love into us. God is love. And I love, love this next part. When we are utterly helpless... Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now the most, now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us. Again, love. He loves us. There's a pattern here, okay? By sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We don't pray, dear God, please die for me that I can trust in you. He went and did it. We were too blind to even know we were lost. And it's while we were sinners. And since we, here it is again, have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still enemies. Pause. Backwards. And take a look at this. It was restored the relationship, our friendship with God, which points to reconciliation and what de- the definition is, okay? It all happened at the cross. This is big. 
Hopefully I'm not going way too far over your head, but these are critical. If I could get a, uh, two uh, AAA batteries, that'd be really great. Um, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still sinners, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son, not our prayers. Our prayer doesn't save us. The life of Christ saves us. That's different because the Christian world is built on us controlling God. Dear God, come be in the service. You remember those prayers? What kind of dumb prayer is that? He's there. Are you kidding me? Instead, acknowledge what is true. Father, thank you. Reveal yourself that you're here. Allow us to experience your, your peace now. This is, this is all him. It's beautiful. Um, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Jesus has done it. Do you see the pattern? Number one, you're loved. And who did the work before you even asked? Yeah. Pattern of trust. John 3.16. You want to go for an oldie goldie? This is a good one. For this is how God loved the world. (laughs) Stop there for a minute. If you have this kind of yeah, but... Yeah, but there are people that really are mean and evil and, and disobey and live horrible lifestyles that I can't stand. You can't possibly love them, God. You just put conditions on something. God didn't. He came to show how much he loved the world, knowing full well the darkness that was already there. It's hard to love your kids sometimes when they really, really misbehave and are being defiant, right? It's really hard. Mind you, you probably wouldn't identify it as, you wouldn't have to articulate, do I still love my kid? Of course, yeah, I still love you. But my goodness, you're driving me nuts. You know, this is better than parental love. This is the true, unconditional love of God towards everyone. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God, and here's the best part, because we usually, we, isn't that nice, you, love, you know, the John 3.16, and it's on all these billboards as you drive, and, you know, these signs at football games, during John 3.16. Well, how about John 3.17? Try that one. Okay? God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Let me read that slower. God. Just kidding, just kidding. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world. If it is truly God, and we believe God is who he says he is, all-powerful, all that, did he succeed or not? You have to answer that question. If he didn't, he's not worth trusting in. Because he's weak. There's a a problem there. Uh Uh-oh. Is it my thing? Yeah, it probably is. So he came to do that and save the world. He succeeded. John 3, 16 and 17 from the Passion Translation. 
For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish but experience everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. God's going to get you. Do you ever hear people say that? God's going to, oh, the wrath that's, of God's coming on you. Oh, this is happening because you guys really sin badly, especially in the newspapers these days. It's so stupid. You know, this, this disaster happened because of certain sins in a city. Are you kidding me? That's the most ridiculous, stupidest thing I have ever heard. And it comes from a very small God in a box that doesn't even exist. He came to save the world and rescue it, not to wipe out people. That's not God. That is sin doing it, not God. Big difference. Is this... Uh, I'm going to need a handheld mic because this is driving me nuts, uh, if I can. So I'm building the pattern that God loves the world. He loves you. You're part of it. I, I want that security when I'm going through stuff. I want that assurance when I'm going through difficult things. John, 1 John 4.10, you'll love this. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Did he succeed? Yes. Let's read another translation. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. Remember, God is the initiator, not us. Which brings me to the traditional church phrase that says we must love God more. How many have heard that before? We must, you have to love God more. You know, what does that even mean? How, how about, a, uh, imagine a couple that are dating and in order for them to continue the relationship, the guy says to the girl, you must love me more. Yeah, no, no, more. Like, that's how dumb that is. We're not told we have to love God more as a rule, when we recognize we have first been loved, our love is response. Now flip that relationship of that guy and girl again. Let's say the, the guy woos and wows this, this lovely girl and, and he, he learns to be sensitive and he cares for her and, and they, they, they're, they just connect and they naturally grow to have this really cool love and they end up getting married, whatever. That is a natural, growing, reciprocal love. Not, you must love me. See, the document says you must love me. That's not love. I hope you're seeing the pattern. Matthew 5, 43 to 48 says, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? 
Even corrupt tax collectors do that much, or politicians. If you are kind, or <laughs> sorry, or if you <laughs> if you are kind only your friend to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Hmm. There's a huge takeaway. It says love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That that was the old law. All right, I'll stand back here now. You've heard it said, the law that says love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Have you ever wondered if this is Jesus saying love your enemies? I wonder what that means. Does God have to do the same thing? Does that apply to God the Father or just us? Does he play by different rules? No. Well, that leads to a whole different set of questions and direction, doesn't it? I'm sorry. I'm just giving you a great pattern pointing out the love of God for all people. I want you to see it in the scriptures yourself. Next. Colossians 3, 12 12 to 16 says... Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, there's that love again, okay? If you look for it, you're going to see it, okay? If you buy a Ford F-150 bright red, you're suddenly going to realize and see all kinds of Ford F-150s everywhere, you know? But when you start looking for the love of God, you're going to see how much he loves us and how the entire scriptures are riddled with the love of God towards us. It says, you must close yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults, something that doesn't happen in the church very well, and forgive anyone who offends you. Ooh, that was hard. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its rich richness fill your lives. This is an awesome goal. It's not the to-do list. If, if you read this through a religious lens, you're going to go, okay, um, I have to have tender mercy. I have to be kind now. I have to be you know, very humble. Oh, oh now i got to work on my patience. Today's gentleness day. And, and then I have to go down this other list. Okay, how do I um, forgive others? And how do I close myself in love? And you, it's become the, the to-do list. It's not the to-do list. It's, this, it's the response to the love of Christ already in us, waking up to it, and then this is what's going to look like supernaturally. You don't get to do it. Jesus does it gently, his way. Today I'm going to be humble. You know, like, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> when you, as soon as you try to do something, you just messed it up. But when you allow the Spirit of God, first of all, you believe the Spirit of God is in you, and the Spirit of God loves you, It'll have an effect on you. You begin to love others around you. It's a, it's a journey. No, none of us have arrived. None of us have got it perfect. We're going to mess it up. We're going to really, really mess up some of our connections. And, and we're going to have to say sorry an awful lot. <laughs> it's just how it works. As we try to 
trusting Christ as our trier, to allow all this great truth in us to come out in action. Uh, I think we're almost done. Anyway, Ephesians 2 says this, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Oh, just, just a minute. I'm going I'm to highlight something here. Even though you were dead in your, because of your sins, he gave us life when? When was it? When he raised Christ from the dead. Not when you said your prayer. I'm not making this up. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And keep in mind, I believe there are three legitimate ways to understand saved. And uh, sometime I'll teach through that. Um, saved meaning you're, some people have thought, you know, we're not saved at all. Well, you may not in your mind, but there's a sense of needing to be saved because you're, you're, you're dark and blind in your mind. And then there's a sense of you're already saved um, um, uh, in, in that Christ has done everything that has to be done at the cross, and then you're going to be saved down the road. Like, there's, all of it's still true. Like, we're still going to experience salvation in different ways. We don't have to get all fussy and in arguments uh, because we're seeing saved as there's only one definition for it. Not at all. In fact, it comes from a word that means healed, saved. Healed, sozo. Hmm. Worth looking up. But this is really great. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united to Christ. Do you see it now? You were dead and you were raised to life. When did that transaction happen in time and space? It happened at the cross. It's already happened. Now you're waking up to it. Somebody coming to faith brand new won't see all this. It's way too much, too deep. So you have to use different terminology. You know, it's like birds and the bees with the kids. <laughs> How kids are made, you know. Ooh, cabbage patch, whatever. But that's for child, child, child level. Fine, if you have to use that terminology, great. So be careful you don't use adult language with people who are still young in their faith and growing. Be careful. All right, so anyway. Uh, so God can point us to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. Next verse goes on to say, God saved you by his grace when you believed. That's when you had the experiential moment. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece, work of art, not a piece of work. This is a big deal. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And God has many, many good things he wants to do through us to others. Verse 8 uh, from up there in the Passion Translation says, For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation, for it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. That is amazing good news. Oh, thank goodness, last slide. <laughs> but this relationship thing, Jesus took what was hindering us from having a, an authentic good relationship with God, 
and he reconciled us. So next week we're going to zoom into what is this term called reconciliation? What does it even mean? And we're going to make it simple to understand and then show you in Scripture that you have already been reconciled. Isn't that good news? This is a pattern. You look for it, you'll see it. So building a case for a God we can trust. Today we can trust God loves us and he loves everybody. Everybody. Let's pray.